So with that, uh, Luke Miller is going to come up and uh, share with us the next message in our series. So, Thanks, Greg. Um, when Greg asked me uh, if I'd be willing to come and preach again, I was just like, of course, super excited. I love being able to uh, share God's word with you guys. and It's really an honor to do it here at Darby Creek, my home. And uh, But when he asked me, he's like, well, like, would you be willing to preach like one of these psalms? And I was like, oh yeah, like I'm really excited to preach a psalm. Because um, if I'm honest, like uh, the psalms are probably my favorite portion of the Bible. If you're allowed to have a favorite portion, mine's the psalms. Um, and, and part of the reason is, is psalms are just so beautiful. There's something about beauty being tied so closely with truth. It just kind of has a, a way of cutting through the noise and getting right to the heart of the matter. And, and the Psalms, right, like the, the sermon series is, called, is entitled David's Prayer Journal, right? And that's because the Psalms are a bunch, a collection of prayers, of songs, of poems that are these cries of the heart out to God. And when we sing, when, when we, we come in and we, we worship and we see these Psalms, right, we're, we're joining in on that. And the Psalms uh, were also, Jesus like the portion of scripture that Jesus quoted most often was the Psalms. Like these were the, the things that were on his lips, the things that were uh, on his mind, what he spoke out most often. And so when we sing the Psalms, when we come in and read them, we're also joining in with thousands of years of Christians who have opened the book of the Psalms, who have read them, who have prayed them, who have sang them. And so when we open the book today, we're going to be joining in with a melody. We're going to be joining in with a song that's been sung by a cloud of witnesses and saints who have come before us. We're going to find a a song that has notes that give words to our hearts, conditions, and cries that we didn't even know that we necessarily needed. And so I'm just very excited to be able to do that. I'm excited to kind of prayerfully go through the psalm today. We're going to be uh, talking about Psalm 51. And that's this really well-known psalm of David's. uh, And it's a particularly um, dense psalm. It's a particularly powerful psalm. And I want to, um, you know, I, I want us to kind of begin to let this psalm shape our hearts. Right? Begin to rest into our souls. And so as we open up, I'm going to open up and read Psalm 51 for us. And I want you to do whatever is going to be most helpful for you in beginning to let this psalm resonate. Right? Maybe you need to just close your eyes and listen to the psalm read over you. Maybe it's helpful to read along in your own translation in your Bible or on the screen. Maybe it would even be helpful to just stop and just to wonder for yourself just what What's the expression on David's face as he prays this? What's his posture like? What's going on around him as this psalm is being written, as he's saying this psalm? Um, quick uh, just sort of uh, note or house cleaning item. I'm, I'm going to be reading out of the NIV translation today. I just felt like it did a really good job with some of its word choices. Um, and so I'm going to read for us now this Psalm 51, the Psalm of David. For the director of music, a Psalm of David, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, 
according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all of my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned, and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict, and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me, yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice. Or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous. In burnt offerings offered whole, when bowls will be offered on your altar. Amen. That's just a, a very dense psalm. There are so many ideas in there. And, and, and the way I kind of want to approach this psalm, the way I kind of want to walk through it is kind of just, just go through it verse by verse. Kind of just step through what's going on and kind of walk through it. Uh, but with that, if you're, if you're someone who likes to journal, take notes or whatever, I'll give you a quick outline. So uh, just if you like that kind of structure. Um, so first, right, there's a way of kind of breaking this psalm up into some sections. And the first is to say that verses 1 through 2 are this approach, this coming to God, saying this is, this is I'm coming near, this is I'm praying to you. That's verses 1 through 2. Verses 3 through 9 is this plead for forgiveness, this statement of his sin, this declaring of his need for forgiveness. Verses 10 through 17 is his plead and need for transformation. He needs a heart change. And then that final two verses, 18 through 19, are a final prayer and promise. And so we're going to kind of walk through this psalm, want to unpack it together. And, and, and I don't so much want to preach the psalm this morning as much as I would like us to prayerfully sing this together, to say this together as a prayer. That is, we're reading the psalm, as we're seeing what David said to the Lord, as we're seeing God's truth, that we would be prayerfully praying over that in our hearts, that we'd be letting the Holy Spirit administer that to our own souls, that we'd be praying that for those around us, that you'd be praying for me, that this would be a truth that penetrates all of us, that we would be transformed in the hearing of God's truth. And this is 
with that, I kind of want to dive into and first and, and look at first that description. What's the occasion for the writing of this psalm? It says that this is for the director of music, a psalm of David. When the prophet Nathan came to him after David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. There's perhaps no darker moment in David's life than that of the time where he committed these atrocious sins. Where he committed adultery with Bathsheba. And then when he covered it up and he murdered her husband Uriah. That's pretty awful things. And these weren't actions that kind of like happened on the spur of the moment. These were things that he he had to think through. They took plans. He He had time to think through what he was doing. And they are awful sins. Can you imagine just sort of like knowing that the king, the anointed one of Israel did these things? How atrocious they are. And absolutely, these saw the, the consequences of David's actions here, if you were to read the rest of his life story in First or Second Samuel, you'd find that the rest of his life is marked by these actions, that his family is impacted by violence and division because of what happened here. But here in this psalm, we're seeing his relationship to God. We get just the picture of a man who is a sinner and God who is holy. And that's what's in, in focus here. That's what we get this glimpse of. And, and it's, I'm so thankful that we get the glimpse into this. Into this very personal prayer. Into this moment that David had with the Lord. Because it's where we can find hope even for our own selves. And so it's this relationship between man and God. That brings us into the first two verses of the psalm. Verse 1 reads. Have Mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. When we, um, when we read the Psalms, right? Like, the Psalms are technically, they're written in, pro, in, in poetry. They're a poetic thing. Uh, in Hebrew poetry. And when we think of like poetry, right? We think of like roses are red, violets are blue, candy is sweet, and so are you, right? We, we, we think of like these like rhymes, like words rhyming together. And that's how we kind of think of poetry in our modern, modern sense. But Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme with like the sounds of the words like that. It rhymes with ideas. And so as you're reading the Psalms, it's helpful to look for repeated Words or words that build on each other or ideas that repeat and how they kind of shape and form the psalm. And that's kind of what we see here in the first two verses. We see three sets of three repeated ideas, right? That first set of three is what David calls the Lord. Lord, you are merciful. Lord, you have for ongoing loving kindness. Lord, you have compassion. This is the God that David is praying to. is a God who is merciful. A God whose mercy doesn't end. And a God who comes along. Who is alongside. Who has compassion and understanding. And that's, that's the picture of God. And then David gives three descriptions of his sin. His transgressions. Right? 
he has calls him, them his transgressions, his iniquity, and his sin. He knows that he's crossed a boundary, that he's done something that is forbidden, that his iniquity is a perversion of something good into something awful, and that his sin, that he's fallen short of the standard of God. And with those three explanations, clarifications of his sin, he's then asked for three different ways for God to forgive him. He's asked for the Lord to cleanse him, to wash him, and to blot out his sin. And so we have this picture of David the sinner and God the holy, merciful God. And this is where we find our main theme. This is where we find what the rest of the psalm is going to say over and over again. I found a quote that I thought was so particularly apt in describing this. This is from Martin Luther, and he is uh, describing uh, the thoughts of St. Bernard. And so here, Martin Luther says that knowledge of self without the knowledge of God leads to despair. So also the knowledge of God without the knowledge of self leads to presumption. Now that's very pithy, right? But like, what, what does he mean by that knowledge of self? Without the knowledge of God leads to despair, but the knowledge of God without the knowledge of self leads to presumption. I think he's describing these two places we can find ourselves stuck. The first one is we can find ourselves in a place where we know God, we know a lot about God, right? And we think he's pretty cool and so are we. Right? That's, we get into this place where we're a Pharisee of sorts, where we feel like we have arrived and God thinks pretty cool of us and God's pretty cool. You know, like that's, 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 that's one place to be, where we can kind of get stuck. And then the other place where we can get stuck is where we deeply know ourselves. We are aware of our own brokenness. We are aware of our own inclination to sin, to, to put ourselves above others, to put ourselves on the throne. But we don't understand that God is also merciful. We say, I, I, I am too much of a sinner that God possibly cannot forgive me. And that would lead to despair, to isolation, to shame. And both of those are terrible places to be stuck. Because they're both believing in a lie. One's a lie about the self. The other is a lie about God. And the solution to not being stuck in either of those two places, is to walk through what David walks through in this psalm, to let the words of David move us out of these two places. And so here's my main theme, the thing I want to say again and again, the thing that I think this psalm impresses upon us today, and that is that there is no sinner. There is no sinner that is beyond the forgiving and transforming grace of God. There is no amount of sin. There is no person who is beyond redemption. No one that God will cut off or remove from himself. That God has grace for you. That there is redemption to be found in God. And I think that is where we find David is wrestling with this truth. Wrestling with these two things. Right? Wrestling with God of mercy and the depth of his own sin. And we live in an age where we don't want to address the depth of our own sin. right? But look what David does in the next couple of verses. Starting in verse 3. David says, For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. 
against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Notice what's absent there from when David is talking about his sins. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't bring up any excuses, right? He doesn't say, well, God, you don't understand how under stress I was. You don't understand how strong the temptation was. Like, you can't hold me to that. That is, I'm I'm justified in my action. There's this excuse. It's this person's fault, not mine. David doesn't do any of that. David says, no, my actions are my own, and they were sinful. And he goes even beyond that. He says, not only are my actions sinful, my internal being, my heart was dispositioned, was leaning towards that. My internal self, the core of who I am, is bent towards sin. And so here we have David giving us these explanations of his sin. Look at what he says in verse uh, 4. Right? This, is a, this is an odd verse for us. And, 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 and when we hear it, it just kind of grates against us. It says, against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. When we first hear that verse, like we want to argue with it. We're like, well, no, that doesn't quite capture it, David. Right? Because Uriah has been raped and now her husband is dead. Like you surely sinned against somebody else. Like it's not just God. But the question is that I want to kind of answer before we kind of dive into more of that is what, um, what, what makes a thing a sin, right? It's only inside the context of a relationship with God that there is a sin, right? Like we have to have a God to have sin. And so like David most certainly committed a crime in the eyes of the law, but it's only when we're talking about his relationship with God that that is a sin, And then the second thing I would also say is that anytime I do something against my neighbor, anytime I sin against my neighbor, it is a sin. It is wrong because of who God has said my neighbor is, right? God has created all mankind, man, woman, and child in the image of God. And, and that is imbues all people with inherent value and worth. And when I sin against my neighbor, I'm sinning against the image of God. I'm ultimately sinning against God. When I do something wrong to my neighbor, I'm thwarting God's good goodness and grace towards that person. All sin, all wrongs ultimately lead back to the throne room of God. To sinning against God's goodwill and plan for flourishing. And so that's what's in view here. So David is talking about his relationship with God here. We could talk a whole lot more about forgiveness and reconciliation. That would be like a whole other sermon series. But here in this psalm, we're dealing with the relationship between God and the sinner David. And so that is what's there. And then David goes on to say that God is just. To say that God, no, your judgment of me is correct. He doesn't say, like, God, like, you're holding me to too high of a standard. He says, no, God, you, you, you judged me rightly. I, I truly do have sin in my heart. I am responsible for what is there. And, and this 
is where David begins. He begins with identifying his sin. He gives us these three statements. Again, another set of three. He gives us these three statements about his sin. That he has sinned. He's aware of his sin. That he has sinned against God. And that his internal heart is in a disposition. Is, is, is born into sin. And so after giving us three explanations. Three ideas exploring what his sin looks like. He now gives us three statements. Where he is asking for, for God's forgiveness. Starting in verse 7 it says. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquity. Right? And so did you notice those, those three verbs, those three requests of God? He's asking God to cleanse him, to wash him, and to blot out his sin. If you were to look back at verses 1 and 2, you would see those same three words. Cleanse, wash, and blot. David is saying, Lord, please cleanse me of my sin. Wash me and make me pure as snow. Remove my sin from me. Blot it out from my sight. I want to talk about the first of those three and then the last of those three. So first, cleanse. When we think of the word cleanse, like we think of probably like what might come to mind, came to my mind is a like cleansing diet like a juice cleanse or something trying to get rid of all the toxins out of the body and and, and that's not actually all that far off that's actually kind of getting close to target right in it and it's in that david is asking the lord to literally de-sin him to take him like a sponge and wring him out and remove the sin from him He's, he's asking, Lord, remove this that is inside of my being and take it far from me. Take it as far as the east is from the west. Take it from me. I was thinking about this and I was reminded of a conversation I was having with a friend of mine. He participates in a Christian denomination where they practice uh, confession and they go to their priests and they, and they confess. And was talking with him about that. And he was kind of sharing to me in conversation. He's like, you know, like in, when I take a sin or something and I bring it to confession, I'm not actually supposed to bring it back up again. I'm not supposed to talk to you about it. Like if I was in conversation and he was about to share something with me, and he's like, oh, actually, I, I already confessed that in confession. Like Christ has already taken care of that, and I don't need to continue to bring that back up. There's something really good there. Talk about taking seriously what the scripture says when God has removed your sins from you and put it as far as the east is from the west. That God's no longer holding a book over top of you saying, look how awful you are. That's not what God is doing. God has taken care of your sins. It is finished is what Christ said on the cross. But how often do we go around beating our chest Saying I'm an awful person for this reason and that reason. Being historical with ourselves. Defining ourselves by sins that Christ has forgiven. That God has given you a new name and you are no longer called by that. That is some amazingly good news. That wants to bring us out. That wants us to, to bring this place of joy and gladness that it talks about in verse 8. 
we want to move from this place of feeling crushed by our sin to feeling the rejoicing of having it removed from us. And this is the two pieces of the gospel. Right? Here, here's, the, here's the gospel in a sentence. This is the summarization of it. Well, wait, before I even get there. Not that I don't want to talk about the gospel. We're going to talk about the gospel. But before we get there, I want to say, what, what's this word hyssop? He wants to be cleansed. We want sin removed from us. And, and cleansed with hyssop. I, I, I've never really known. I've never taken the time to figure out what hyssop was. Uh, and so I did a little bit of research. And hyssop is actually, it's this like bush. And it's a really stiff bush with these branches. And, and they would use it and they'd take the hyssop branches and they would use it as like kind of a brush. And the first time we see hyssop used in the Bible is in Exodus. So back in, while the Jews are in slavery in Egypt, and they're getting ready for the final plague, the 10th plague that was coming on Egypt. And they were told to sacrifice a young, pure, blemish-free lamb. And they sacrificed that lamb, and then they took the hyssop branches, and they dipped the branches into the blood of the lamb, and then they applied the blood of the lamb to the doorposts, of their houses, and the angel of death passed over them, the first Passover. Hyssop branches were used by the priests to apply the blood of innocent sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin. It is what was used to apply the forgiveness of the lamb. And David here is asking, Lord, I don't just need a human priest. I need you. I need you to be my priest. I need you to apply the blood of an innocent sacrifice to my life to cover me from my sin. And that's the gospel. That is in its core what it is, right? It is this truth that your sin is taken away from you in the death of Jesus. And in the resurrection of Jesus, you are given new life. Say that again. Your sin is taken away from you in the death of Jesus and in the resurrection of Jesus you are given new life. That is the gospel. Look and behold on the cross it is the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world. Right? That Jesus Christ became man. The Son of God added to himself and took on flesh became human with weaknesses and he lived the perfect life and he died the perfect death so that your sin might be taken from you, might be nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ, that it went with him into the grave and he left it behind after three days when he rose again from the dead. And when he rose again, he conquered death. He crushed the serpent's heel and there is no longer power there and we are given new life. That is the two steps of the gospel that you've been, your sin has been removed from you and that you've been given new life. And if you get, you can't, can't get stuck over here. A lot of times we get stuck over here where we say our sin has been removed and then we don't take hold of this new life, right? There there, there is good news. You don't remain a sinner in Christ. You become a new creation. You become a son, a daughter, a child of God. That is what is here. It's this redefining, this renewal of self. And that brings me to this last, um, last part that David says. He, says. he says, blot out my sins. Blot them out so that I can't see them anymore. Right? I was 
thinking about this, and I don't know if you've ever seen like the YouTube videos or Facebook videos, there's these artists who will come and they, they, they find graffiti that's like kind of hateful or wrong, like they'll find like swastikas and other hateful graffiti in public places. And I remember seeing this one video of this artist and he came up and there's this swastika on the wall and he pulled out his spray paint cans and his, and his tools and he started to put paint up on the wall. But he wasn't just putting up paint to cover it up. He was using what was there and then he was drawing a brand new picture so that when you looked at this picture, you didn't see the hateful image that was there to begin with. You see a beautiful artwork, a beautiful mural. He's taken what was there and he's transformed it into something new. And that's what God wants to do with our lives, with your life. God wants to take your sin and he wants to transform you. So that when people look at you, they no longer see the sin. They see Christ in you. We are little Christs. We are Christians. God wants to transform your life so that your sin isn't visible. Only his son and his forgiveness is visible. So that we can say, look not at me. Look not what I have done, but look at what my Savior has done for me. That is the gospel truth. That is renewal. That is a change of heart. That is new life. And that's what David continues to pray for. Moving on in verses 10. He says, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. In those verses right there, there's one kind of main point I want to bring out. I I was listening to John Piper and he was preaching on these on these verses, and he brought out something that I hadn't noticed that I thought was particularly poignant. And he said, notice what David hasn't talked about so far in this psalm. He hasn't talked about sex. He hasn't talked about lust. He does mention something about blood, guiltness, murder a little bit later, but he hasn't been talking about the particularities of his sin. Instead, he's rather, he's talking about his heart. He's talking about the condition of his inner self, where his spirit is. And I think that's particularly important because David didn't just have a sin problem. He had a heart problem. David didn't just have a lust problem. He had a heart problem. See, sin problems we can manage. We can put fences up around our sin problems. You can wrap yourself up and tie yourself up and lock yourself in a room and not sin but still have a sinful heart, still have a heart problem. Because only God can address our heart problems. Only true change happens from the heart, from the inner self. And that's what David is asking for here. He's saying, Lord, if I am to change and to become a different person than I was when I committed these acts, I need to be close to you. Keep me near your throne. Do not cast me away from your presence. Keep your spirit close so that he can transform me and change me. And he says, remind me of the joy of my salvation. Renew that in me. Because he, he, he saw, he was, his heart wandered. He said he lost sight of the joy of his own salvation. And he thought, you know, perhaps this will satisfy. Perhaps if I can have this or if I do this, if I can reach and find my own satisfaction, my own happiness in these things. But when I went and I searched after those things, I found nothing but death and destruction. 
So Lord, remind me of your joy. Remind me that I'm satisfied in you. That you are the one that I find fulfillment, meaning, and purpose. That I cannot go anywhere else but from your presence. That joy is this root of change in our hearts. I think that is so absolutely beautiful. And so important. Because it moves us. It transforms us. And so this brings David. Doesn't this just want to open our mouths in praise? Right? This fantastic news. That we can be changed. That in the joy of our salvation. We are new people. And that's what David moves on to do. That's where David continues to continue to, to bring out. He says here. Starting in verse 13, he says, Then I will teach transgressors your ways, so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. David begins to look at this outward motion. His heart is wants to overflow with praise, with joyfulness. Look how we, far we have come in this psalm. At the beginning, David is despairing. And now, towards the end of it, he's, he's entering into a place of worship, of praise, saying, God, look at who you are and what you've done for me. Behind every witness, behind every evangelism, behind every sharing of the gospel, is a sinner who has found mercy and forgiveness in Jesus Christ. That's where it starts. We need to open up our lips and our hearts and say, look what God has done in me. The change that he's wrought and the change that I believe he can bring in your life. That is the goodness of the gospel. That's what God has for all of us. And behind that, that just brings us out to joy. Look at what David says here. He says, he talks about teaching transgressors the ways of God. These ways are ways that will motivate sinners to turn back to him. What does he mean by that? What does he mean that he's going to teach God the ways or teach transgressors the ways of God? What ways of God is he talking about? I think he's, I think he's talking about God's merciful ways. I think he's talking about God's forgiving ways because that's what draws us closer to him. It is the loving kindness of God that leads us to repentance. I think even it's speculated and it's thought that Psalm 32 is David keeping his promise of this. If you read Psalm 32, you would find it's written by David. And he says, blessed are those whose sins are forgiven. Happy are those who have found satisfaction and forgiveness in Jesus Christ and new life. David is saying, look, don't let shame keep you trapped. Don't let shame keep you from God, right? If you find yourself in a place where you're, my sin is ever oh so great, surely God will never forgive me. No, that's a lie. Because David here says, no, look, the ways of God are merciful. The ways of God are forgiving. The ways of God bring us to him, not away from him. And that is God's heart for you. Because you don't get to say who God chooses to have mercy on. It says that God says that he will have mercy on those whom he chooses to have mercy on. He has chosen to have mercy on him, on you. 
And you don't get to say no to that. You don't get to say, no, God, you can't forgive me of this. He says, no, I have. Because the audaciousness, no matter how terrible your sin is, it is not as terrible as the death of God on a cross by the hands of men. He came and he willingly sacrificed himself so that he could wash it away. It was truly finished. It truly was for you. Your forgiveness is bought by the blood of Christ. Don't let shame and lies keep you from that truth, from accepting God's forgiveness and walking into new life. Letting the Spirit transform and change you from the inside out. There's no home for shame in the grace of God. There's no home for the accuser's lies in the grace of God. I want to finish us out by looking at these last couple verses. And I want to again point us to Jesus. And I want us to look forward, look outward. In verse 16, David says, You do not delight in sacrifice where I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, is a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bowls will be offered on your altar. Uh, I was reading a commentator in the commentary on this passage, and the commentator pointed out a really salient point, really something that struck home. And it's that underneath the Mosaic law, right, the Ten Commandments and the ceremonial law, there was no sacrifice that David could make for the sin of murder and adultery, right? Underneath the Mosaic law, there wasn't a sacrifice to be made for that. The consequences of murder was capital punishment underneath the Mosaic law. And so David literally has no sacrifice he could make. And even if he did have a sacrifice he could make, do you think God would look on that with favor if he merely offered a sacrifice but lacked a contrite heart? David comes to God knowing that he doesn't have anything to offer but his own heart, his own pleading, his own contriteness. And so we too come to God with no sacrifice. So too we come with nothing to offer but our own hearts and faith. But ourselves. We have nothing to give God. We come empty handed to the cross. And Jesus Christ's free grace and forgiveness is found there. That's what we need. Is We need a sacrifice we could never offer. And it's found in Jesus Christ. In that gospel hope. That there is no sinner who is beyond the reach of God's forgiving and merciful and transforming grace. There's no sinner who's beyond that. You don't get to decide. We always want to take this truth because it is so hard to swallow. We want to say, surely there's a line where God will not let me cross. And God will call me and say, I'm unredeemable. Surely there is a line. And that is the radicalness of the Christian message. That is why it is so audacious to say that God forgives all of us of our sin. Because there isn't a line. God's mercy is for all of those who would turn to Jesus Christ in faith and say, His life, not mine. Lord, let me be a child of God. Let me live and be united to Christ in faith. 
And let that transform me from the inside out. Let your Holy Spirit renew me and create a new being inside of me. This is his prayer. That we would be a living sacrifice. I think that's the implication of the last two verses. Is that that we would be living sacrifices. That we would live uprightly. And that we would be a beacon that points not to ourselves. But to Jesus Christ on the cross. That we would say his sacrifice is what has saved me. And how do we... How do we do this? How do we let this psalm seep into our hearts? Because this isn't something we move past. Right? Like this gospel, this joy of our salvation that we need to, to rejoice in, to sing on, to let the gospel shape us into who we are day in and day out. How do we do that? Because I, I was thinking about the, um, the Lord's Prayer. Right? If you were to say the Lord's Prayer and, and you get to the part and you say, we pray for our daily bread. What do you pray for after you're finished praying for your daily bread? You, you pray for forgiveness, right? Because we need it daily. And daily we are met with a measure, a grace abounding of forgiveness. It is a daily transforming of our heart of saying, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need your forgiveness. I need your spirit. I need the joy of my salvation. And so this, this would be my encouragement for you with wrestling with this psalm. Is, is, is take this psalm this week and, and, and use it in your personal devotion time. Maybe sit aloud and, and open the psalm and read it out loud. You don't even have to finish it. Just pause on the parts of the psalm where you find yourself needing that. Maybe you need just, Lord, reminding me of my salvation and open my lips to sing about it. Maybe you need to wrestle and you say, Lord, I'm stuck in a place of shame. Lord, help me Find the ways of you that are merciful and forgiveness. Help me to step out of that lie and that box. Lord, renew a new heart inside of me. I would encourage you to wrestle with that. Or even just say the Lord's Prayer. Just how It's such a short prayer and most of us know it by heart. To say it during the day and just to rem- let that be a reminder that as much as I need my daily bread, I need Christ in my life. I need forgiveness and grace and that transformation. If you would, please join with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning as people with empty hands. We have nothing to offer. We have no sacrifice to give but our hearts. Lord, take us By your mercy. Lord show us your ways. Lord impress upon our hearts. Through your Holy Spirit. That you are merciful. That you are loving and kind. That you are steadfast. That you are compassionate. Lord point our eyes up from ourselves. And have us look at your son on the cross. Lord might we. Might we see your love in the arms of Jesus. Lord, might we see and understand what it means that you have taken our sins from us and that you have given us new life. Lord, if there's someone in this room who is stuck in a box of shame, who doesn't believe that you can forgive them, Lord, I ask that you would press upon their spirit, that you would press upon this truth, They are forgiven in Christ. 
Give them a heart of faith to hold on to that truth. Lord, make us a church where we speak confession to one another and where we speak your forgiveness to one another. Lord, let us remind one another and call out the lies of the enemy. Let us call each other and say, you are forgiven. You are a child of God. That is who defines you. Holy Spirit, transform a new heart in us. And Lord, open our lips as witnesses, as singers of your grace and goodness. In Jesus' name we pray.